media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, again, we're going to kind of vary from from Mark and go to uh, Joshua 24 and kind of look at that whole chapter a little bit, but specifically kind of focus on uh, Joshua 24:15. It's a very familiar verse to uh, a lot of you. Uh, if you grew up in the church, you kind of knew this. But even if you're kind of out there, just kind of in the Christian circles, you're probably aware of this verse. Uh, you know how I feel about, uh, you know, little bumper sticker theology. I just don't like it because I don't think it reflects the depth of what we have. And yet I looked around my house this morning and I found that in my own house, we have some bumper sticker theology. Now, it's based on the Word of God, okay? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. I just brought two. There was like five of them in there. <laughs> and another one, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua twenty four fifteen. And you may have this in your house, and it's perfectly okay, but you know, here's this guy who doesn't like bumper sticker theology because I don't think it has the depth, and yet I looked around my house and I'm going, okay, bumper sticker, bumper sticker, bumper sticker. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to say, what is behind this bumper sticker so that it doesn't remain a bumper sticker? What does this mean? What is the context that had Joshua compelling the people, will you say this? Will you commit to this? Will you make this... Uh, a movement of the heart and of the mind in your life, this commitment that is for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We just started a brand new school year. For some of you, that is a distant thought. It's something that uh, is of the years past. Others, it is a future thought. Uh, for others, you're right in the midst of it. I mean, you are right in the midst of it. And this past week was a crazy week as you tried to prepare both your children and your household for this new start. And this new beginning. But how many of you, uh, we have kind of different personalities when it comes to newness. How many of you like new things? Just kind of raise your hand if you like the freshness, new opportunities. How many of you like the tried and the true and, and just the consistent? Okay, because there's a known factor. Okay, and I've asked that question in some capacity before and got about the same response. Because we really don't change that much from that. If we, uh, some people are excited about the new, and the other people are maybe not terrified, but they don't like the, you know, they they like the the known. And uh, on one hand, we like the, um, the something new because it's a clean slate. I mean, think about football season. Even if you went, uh, let's say that you went in in college sports, you went zero thirteen last year as a college football team. You know, as the new year starts, what's in the mind of every player, of every coach, of every fan? Hey, this year we could go 13-0. and 0. Now, you're probably not going to go from 0-13 to 13-0. and 0. More than likely, that's not going to happen. But there's at least that opportunity until you first play that first game that there's at least this clean slate. It's the same as starting a new job. Sometimes people go, you know, I got so devastated in my old job. Just, I hated my job. And then you get this new job and there's new opportunities. On the other hand, it's pretty intimidating to start something new that is unknown because you have to start all over again. I was asking a couple of our, our kids this morning, hey, did you have any friends in from last year? And uh, Lexi said, yeah, I, I had two friends from last year. And I said, well, then you have the opportunity of meeting a lot of new friends this year and kind of, you know, looking at the opportunity, but also knowing how much we like to look around and kind of have the friends from last year. 
So there's a good side, a bad side. It's a double-edged sword, something that's brand new. And for many of us, um, when we felt a little bit of both of those as each new school year rolled around, clean slate, start off with, you know, I don't have a D in this class <laughs> that I have to bring up. You know, you start off with new opportunities, but also this new class friend, and I don't know anybody near, and I don't know if that teacher is going to be a good teacher or that. When I think about that, I, I think a little bit of the, the thoughts and the, the feelings of our, the redemptive nature of our relationship with Christ. You know, the Bible says the old things are passed away and all things have become new. And, and there's something so amazing. I don't think we even begin to understand the fullness of that. That the old things are sinfulness. This estrangement from a holy God has been now made in the past. And now we are part of the family of God if we place our trust in the finished work of Christ. We are invited to his table. We were the enemies and, and now we're children of this holy God. All the, not because we go to church, not because we got wet, not because we said some things, but because we placed our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the key. And, and that's the only difference between any of us and everybody else this morning is there's those who have placed their trust in Christ and those who have not. But it makes all the difference in the world. There's something incredibly exciting about the old things passing away. Something exciting about new opportunities. In the 24th chapter of Joshua, uh, there's a significant line in the sand. I kind of like lines in the sand. I'm kind of definitive, kind of a black and white people uh, person. I, I kind of like the line in the sand. Okay, here's a new opportunity. And so I see this as a new opportunity for Israel uh, because they're past. Um, if you gave them a, a, a grade for the year, school year before, it really wouldn't be passing. Okay, they, they've had some rough, rough years. Okay, but this is a new school year for them. But it comes upon something that's kind of sad. Their leader that they have known for all these years, Joshua, who followed Moses, is dying. And he knows that he's dying. He knows that these are his last days. And so he gathers the people together and he wants to address the people. Look at Joshua chapter 24, verse 1, so that we can get this this context of what's happening here. Verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. Now look how it begins, verse 2 and 3. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord. Very important. This isn't Joshua going, you know, kind of got a little sentimental last night. I'm getting older. This is kind of my last word. He knows this is his last words, and he realizes what's coming here. But look at the authority by which he speaks. He's not speaking his words. He says, this is what the Lord has told me. Not in some kind of mystical way. Now, folks, if there's something that's been abused in our day and our time throughout history, is well, you know, the Lord told me. And there's a lot of times I've seen people do things that I know the Lord did not tell them because it doesn't match up with Scripture. I'm going, you can't use this little phrase, the Lord told me. But in this case, Joshua is saying what the Lord has told him. And I believe that is 100% authentic. I think this is exactly what the Lord God said. So uh, Joshua said to the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. 
Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. Joshua takes them back to the time from where they had come from. They were a people that followed other gods. Abraham's father was not a believer. What we would say in that sense. And then by God's choosing, please get this, by God's choosing, he called Abraham out of that land to make a people. This is really significant theologically, practically uh, in our own lives, guys. Abraham was not sitting there, some righteous guy, going to church every Sunday, going, God, what can I do for you? God, I just, I have this burden to do really great things for God. Abraham grows up in a household, we don't know if it's loving or not, but his father's not a believer. And yet God calls Abraham. God sees Abraham and wants to use him. There's a, really something important about that, guys. Because so oftentimes we think that we kind of have to clean up, show up, do up, and all these things in order to be used by God. God is the instigator here, and we're going to see that throughout this passage. And it's such a tremendous part uh, of our understanding of Christianity. We respond to God out of how he has responded to us. Okay? This isn't you and I making up, how do we do great things for God? No, we have a great God, and in response to this great God, we respond accordingly but by submitting lies to him. And that's how we all of a sudden, things happen, and, and blessings come, and, and our lives and our hearts and our minds are changed. It's really a significant thing, and there's a trap of religion that says, okay, how do I kind of measure up and do great things for God? Don't get the cart before the horse. Understand where any act of righteousness in your life comes from. What its source is. Such an important part of our understanding of our own lives we see right here. Joshua's purpose in all this seems to be able to to remind the people of God's amazing blessings and his faithfulness in the past. And so he does a quick review of their history. And the people would have been familiar with this. They were very much people of oral history. That is, that they would tell the stories of old. Uh, That's a lost art nowadays. We don't tell the stories of old as well as we do, as we used to, and what cultures did. But he begins to do that in a very kind of high level, a 35,000-foot view. He begins to tell some of the histories. And he takes them all the way back to when they were captive in Egypt and how God delivered them from their captives. Look at verse 5 and 6. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. Do you remember that story? (laughs) Israel finally has been released from Egypt. They're on their way. And then Pharaoh changes his mind as he did all the time and he begins to pursue them. And so he's got this mighty army of chariots and all these. And so here you have the nation of Israel. Here you have the, the chariots and Pharaoh's armies behind him and they're progressing. And then they begin kind of between the rock and the hard place, that proverbial place where, oh my goodness. And they have the Red Sea on one side and they have Pharaoh's army and chariots on the other side. And their natural kind of thought is, woe is me. You know, well, what do we do? 
and God provides. He opens up the Red Sea. They walk across on what? Dry ground. And then when Pharaoh and his army tries to chase after them, he kind of allows the the sea to go back and he, he swallows them up. A lot of people say, well, you know, I think that's just figurative speech. Pastor, I don't know that that really happened. (laughs) Our God can make anything happen, guys. You know, how many times has he opened up and let me cross over obstacles on dry land and then swallowed up those who were chasing me by his grace and his mercy that he he took my enemy away? Guys, it's not figurative. I, I really don't believe. I think it happened just like it says. The Bible says it. It doesn't say here's a parable. And so Joshua starts telling these people, uh, you know, the nation of Israel, he starts reminding them of this rich heritage, but most importantly, of the faithfulness of the God that they serve. And yet, even though God had shown his faithfulness in all these times, and many, many more, when it came time for them now to inhabit this promised land, remember, they sent out 12 spies, and 10 of those spies came back and said, there is no way we can do this. I mean, we look like grasshoppers in the midst of these giant people that, you know, inhabit the land. And only Joshua and Cade, we were the only two that came back and said, but God gave it to us. It's not like something we have to do. This is something God has already done. Hmm. Second time that we've seen that this morning. That our response is not to go invent something to do some great thing for God, but simply to to respond to what God has done. Do you see a little theme going here? (laughs) Because it's one of the most important themes of the Christian life. Verse 7. And when they cried out to the Lord, he talks now about how they didn't go in the promised land, and so because of their lack of faith, they wandered in the wilderness for how many years? Forty years, a long, long time. And listen to how Joshua puts it. And he said, when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them. He's talking now again about how he saved them from Pharaoh and the army and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. In other words, this is what I did. And yet you still didn't respond. And so how does he finish that verse? And you lived in the wilderness a long time. He doesn't berate them. He doesn't use this as a bully stick. He doesn't say, because you're just such an incapable people, you're such a belligerent people, and then kind of just put on heavy after heavy. He says, and then you wandered in the wilderness for a long time. And the people that day would have been going, yeah, (laughs) heard stories about that. But God's faithfulness and the story of his faithfulness doesn't end there. Even though they blew it 40 years before, God remains faithful and enables them to go and possess the land finally, this promised land that they could have had from the very beginning. Look at verse 8. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. I mean, do you see this theme going? You did because I did. Didn't tell you to go in there and, hey, guys, I don't know about this. This is an evil land. You're on your own. You go try. Get the mightiest man that you can. Put them there and, and see on the front lines and see if you can win this victory. No. Everything that they do is a response to God's faithfulness in their lives. This theme continues for the next several verses as Joshua reminds the people of Israel of all the victories that they've had based upon God's faithfulness to them in the past. 
And then in verse 13, he reminds them of this great spiritual truth. Look at verse 13. I gave you a land on which you have not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. You, you live in a land that you did not you know, take on your own. You, you're living in houses that you really, in one way, did not provide for yourself. You're even eating food that you didn't kind of do the original planting. What is God trying to tell us there? One of the biggest lies that we can fall into is that we're self-made people. The self-made man. And I think that we usually associate that with males, unfortunately. Uh, I can say this because I am one. Uh, because we have a lot of pride. I have a lot of pride. It is it's one of my... If I had to say, God, Bobby, what is kind of your biggest sin? Pride and selfishness, which are really intimately related. <laughs> and in a way, it seems like we're self-made men and women. I mean, I, I went to school, guys, for 20 years to get that degree. I mean, those classes were hard. You to, go take systematic theology, or you go take and sit under Earl Ellis, one of the greatest theologians in the world, and you're going, okay, that fifth word, I know what that means. I don't know what the other 25 word, but I, I knew one word in his class. So intimidating. And you can think, man, I survived that class. I actually got a passing grade. And guys say, no. By my grace, by my provision, you're not a self-made man. You simply responded to opportunities that I have given you grace and ability to respond to. One of the most important parts of us understanding our walk with Christ, and we do apologize for the screen. We have tried to work that out. We've got a specialist who's coming in a couple weeks to to help us with that, guys. But... uh, uh, when we have the flashes of that other screen, there's something in our system, and it's it's, it's not yeah, <laughs> it's nothing that our our people are doing. <laughs> we prayed for the evil to leave us, and it hasn't yet. <laughs> okay, so we do apologize for that. But let me get back to you know there is no such thing as a self-made man. There's no such thing. Yes, you may have responded to opportunity, but understand where that opportunity came from, and that's what he's doing in verse 13. He says, you're living in houses you did not build. You're eating food that you did not plant. My grace has been sufficient for you. God is not rubbing their nose in their past failures. He just wants them to see this faithfulness in spite of their failures and faithlessness. And in many ways, this is our story. If you're a Christian here this morning and you've put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ... God's provision for our sin and his payment for our sin. If you've placed your trust in that and that alone, not your own ability to be good, not your own righteous, not, you know, that you go to church or you got wet, you know, sometime way back in the back. When you understand that, understand that you're responding to God's provision. It is he who chose us. We did not choose him. I firmly believe theologically, we can talk about that another time, that I would have never responded to the gospel had the Holy Spirit not opened my eyes to that beauty. That's that's what the scripture says. I did not come knocking on his door. God saved me until he made me aware of both my sin 
and the provision of his Savior. When we get that, we really place not only good theology into our mind and our hearts, but we really set the stage for the rest of our Christian life. That all of a sudden we've, we have this provision, okay, our, what is our responsibility? You know, in the Old Testament, you know, what is it that you require of man? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. You know, we can find that in Micah. What, what is the response? How do we live Christian lives? We sing about it this morning. We just respond in worship to him, to what he has done, and we respond to that. Now, is there responsibility in that? Yes. As we will see in just a moment. See, this is a God who fought for us. We didn't fight for him. This is God who has blessed us. We were not a blessing to him in that sense. See, when we begin to understand this backstory to Joshua, all of a sudden verses 14 and 15 begin to really give us the context of how we are to respond. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's more than just a cute little phrase that you put on a, you know, somewhere and hang in your house. It's more than just, okay, I want to say this. What does it really mean? And Joshua has just given us the backstory. So look at the question that is posed in verse 14. What's the first word of verse 14? Now. This is history. God did this, 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 and this. And then when does he bring it? Present. Today. August 1st, 2021. God did all these things. Now. Now. Today. Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and served the Lord. Joshua is no longer pointing backwards. He's looking forward. But he does so in light of the past. Second word, verse 14, therefore. And remember, we always try to say, okay, what is that word? What is he about to say? What is it there for? Because there's always an instruction. There's always a command. There's always something that, that God is asking after these therefores when we find them in the Bible. So now, all this history is given, now, today, therefore, based on what has been done in the past, how do we so live? How do we respond to this faithful God? How do we respond to his faithfulness? Folks, we have every reason to do the things that Joshua says there. That is really what the Lord is saying. To fear the Lord and to serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Do you fear the Lord and do you serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness because you're just really the exceptional people that are way, way high above the whole rest of this lost world? No. You do so because of God's faithfulness because of his revealing in your own life. The minute we lose that, we do two evil things. We put ourselves in the center of our own salvation and we become the most judgmental people in the world. Well, if everybody else would just do what I did. No, if everybody else did what I did, we'd all be lost. Please don't let this creep into your mind and into your religious thinking if you're here this morning and God has saved you and you're a Christian, it is by His grace and by what He has done. 
by his faithfulness that he would open your eyes to your sin and show you that there was a way out? This wasn't you being a good person. This wasn't you kind of outperforming everybody else. This is the grace of a loving God. And so when he says in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your, that your fathers uh, served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. When he, in one way that sounds like a heavy, doesn't it? Wow. I've got to go out there and serve the Lord. I've got to make sure that that little bumper sticker on my car, that I live this out. Because if I sit there and show my temper, if I do this, that, and the other, then man, my goodness, I, it's all on me. No. There is responsibility. Let me try to make it clear. There is responsibility, but that responsibility is responding to what God has already done. Don't get the cart before the horse. Which seems strange to even say when you're talking about salvation and, and God and everything. <laughs> but you, you, I think you know where I'm going with that. I've mentioned many, many times as we've studied books in the New Testament, um, th- these two words. And, and you know, we're not trying to be these theological nerds here, guys. But there's two words that are really, really important for our two understandings uh, in New Testament theology that we need to really kind of get down and, and put as a part of our vocabulary. And that is indicatives and imperatives. Indicatives and imperatives. And I'm not going to ask anybody you know, today, will you please define... You know, what an addictive, what is an imperative, but it really is pretty important for what they, the, the, the use that they have in the New Testament are, are really in the Christian life. An indicative is what God has done. If when we apply it to the New Testament, it's what God has done. The indicatives that we see, statements that are indicative in the New Testament are based on what God has done. And then the imperatives are what we are to do in response to that. Okay? And when we look, especially in Paul and James and all these, you know, Peter's writings and John's writings, and we see this, and we see them use the word therefore or go do this, it's always based on an indicative. I can't find a time when there's an imperative in the Bible where there is a call to go and do that isn't based on something that God has already done. But when we don't understand that, then all we get is, oh, man, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. But when we understand that it's only a response, like right here, what Joshua is doing to the people. God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness. Man, y'all were turning away. You, you had to wander for 40 years because you weren't faithful. But God remained faithful, faithful, faithful. Now, in response to his faithfulness, fear the Lord. Serve him sincerely. So that you can say, as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Because you're better than advice? No, because the grace of God has enabled you to have understanding of your own sinfulness and the beauty of God's faithfulness so that you can respond accordingly. Imperatives and indicatives. What we are to do in response to what God has done. Let me give you an example just so that we can see that. Uh, it's going to be hard to see this. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. But let me just give you an example of what this looks like. I could pull hundreds of examples from the New Testament. Okay, This is just one to illustrate uh, the indicatives and the imperatives. What God has done and how we respond to what God has already done. Hebrews 10 verse 19 through 23. 
That's the first word in, in your translation. Therefore. There we go. Okay. He's about to give us a command. He's about to give us uh, an instruction. But notice how he phrases it. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is, remember, the veil that separated in the, in the temple, that he opened up his, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, do you notice that, okay, therefore, I'm going to ask you to do something, but since we already have this Christ, we already have this high priest, we have somebody who's already taken down the veil that separated, you know, God and man. Since we have this provided by the blood of Christ, the flesh of Christ, now what do we do in response? Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure waters. What if he would have just started out with verse 22? Here's my command to you. Draw near to God with your hearts free from clean from evil. Oh my goodness, my whole Monday changes. I better be really, really good tomorrow and better the next day and even better the third day. It's a call to holiness, but it's a response to the Holy One. Look what else he says, verse 23. Let us hold fast to this confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This is the Christian life, guys. A response to a holy God who's been faithful over and over again, even in the face of our unfaithfulness. I don't know about you, but that's really good news to this guy. Because I'm not Joshua or Caleb that said, I think we can go in there and take this land. I'm the other ten that said, but they were really big (laughs) and scary looking, and we're dead if we go in there. I'm much more in that camp of the ten than I am ever in the camp of the two. And yet this holy, faithful, graceful God looks upon me and what Christ has done for me. And it's me come out of the wilderness and go into those promises. And to live in houses that I did not build and eat of fruit that I did not plant. Is this a great God or what? So finally, to verse 14 and 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in, in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your sights to serve the Lord. Look at the choice. He, he does put the choice there. But it's a choice already based upon what God has done. We have a free will to respond to the sovereignty of God. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your father served in the region beyond the river or the god of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It is a choice. There is a choice that's being made. But it's a choice in response to God's faithfulness, God's character, who God is. Do you get that? Because that's going to be your Monday. That's going to be my Monday. That's going to be my Tuesday. 
It's going to be your Wednesday. That we get to respond now, but we're responding to a God who is faithful, a God who has given us Jesus Christ, who now has dwelled with us in his very spirit in us. So our response is one based on everything that he has done rather than you and I just becoming super-muscled Christians going out there, okay, I got SC on my shirt for a super-Christian. And you will end up with that kind of attitude with a super-Christian kind of mindset, a prideful attitude and a judgmental attitude. And neither one have room in the family of God, in the kingdom of God. Holy hands, we lift up to him, as we just say, because he is faithful. He is faithful. Well, Pastor, I just went through some of the hardest times in my entire life. And I would tell you this morning, he is faithful. Not trying to rub your nose in your hurt and, and put salt in your wounds. I come home and tell Carly sometimes after counseling, I said, Carly, we're the most blessed people I know. People have weights upon them. They have things out there that are so, I can't even imagine. But I have this faith that God is going to prevail, that God is going to give them grace, that God's going to hold them in his loving arms. He's going to bring them out of it just as he did the Israelites out of the captivity and the bondage of their past. This is our hope. Not to make little of the how tough life is, but to make much of what Christ has already done in his faithfulness so that we can respond faithfully and that we can say on August 1st, 2021, as we start a new school year or anything, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, help us please to get this right. Because if we get this wrong, Father, we are basing our reaction today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives, Father, on something that is not centered on the hope of Christ, but on the strength and the ability of, of me and each individual here. Father, I thank you for what Joshua said in this last uh, talk that he had with the people, Father, how there was a great challenge. He didn't water it down. He didn't say, go live however you want to. No, Father, you called us into holiness. But Father, today, if we are to make that proclamation, if we are to make that claim today, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Help us understand that we're placing all of that hope on what you have already done and shown that you are just a faithful God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for new school years. Thank you for lines in the sand that said, yes, I failed yesterday, but I can pass today because I'm going in the strength of my Savior and my Lord, Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you, Father. Help help us now, Father, just to be overwhelmed with this amazing grace that you've provided through your Son. He is worthy of our praise and our worship this morning. And we pray in his powerful name. Amen.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.